joined by my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. Gentlemen, how are you this evening? Doing good. Doing good, guys. How are you? Good. Two weeks away from Christmas, which is hard to believe. You know, you, you think you got five weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Next thing you know, you're talking two weeks away from Christmas, which is crazy. But this is where we're at in life. And you know what? Hey, you know what? That's it is what it is, right? I do want to remind you guys that we are brought to you by Mortgage Right. Give our good friend Herb Devine a call at 781-254-2846 or email him at situate.mortgageright.com. He and his team are available anytime, including nights and weekends, to answer any questions you may have. So if you are ready to sell your current home or you are interested in buying your first home, then your next call should be to our good friend Herb Devine. Again, that number is 781-254-2846. Or shoot him an email at situate.mortgageright.com. With over 25 years of experience in the lending industry, Herb is ready to help you make your next move. Give him a call or an email today. All right, gentlemen, the New England Patriots picked up their third win of the season on Thursday night, beating the Pittsburgh Steelers 21-18. And what started off as a pretty good game, then it settled in and it kind of became ugly in the second half. But regardless of that, Pittsburgh is still in the playoff hunt in the AFC. A win is a win. Patriots finally get off the schneid, pick up a much-needed win. Bailey Zappi was a story, played really well through three. First-half touchdown passes. Ezekiel Elliott played well as well. He caught seven passes for 72 yards and a touchdown pass. Best offensive performance we've seen from this team since that Buffalo game. Uh, Just some overall thoughts on this one, and then we'll look ahead to the Chiefs. You mentioned the best offensive performance. Uh, I thought it was Bill O'Brien's best, maybe his best game of the year, uh, especially in the first half. Obviously, it kind of tapered off in the second, but I thought it was a big night for him. Juju showed up for a change. Um, probably something to do with being in Four Pittsburgh. catches, and, 90 yards. Yeah. Um, obviously, you mentioned Zeke. He was good. Uh, and I think the biggest thing coming out of that game, post game, was the players talking about playing for Bill. Um, and and wanting to win for Bill, you know, we kept saying, "Hey, is there going to be a checkout factor?" Apparently not with this team, and that's good to see. Um, and then all the people crying that, you know, it it might have messed up draft drafting position. It did no such thing. Arizona was off this weekend. You uh you still have the number two pick, and um you know at best I think you go two and two here. John, we talked about a post game. Um, although this isn't the same Kansas City team, so. Um, who knows? Maybe they have a shot this weekend. But yeah, nice win and nice to see that they're not quitting. Yeah, I think it was in any season like this, any wins you can get are good. I mean, I know there's draft position, but you don't know how it's gonna go. Just you should just play hard and try to win these games. I don't I don't really believe in, in tanking. Um, I think there's too many too many other things that can go on. Um, and like, like you were saying, Kev, the, um, the offense finally looked really good for that first half, especially. Um, and they, they kind of felt, I felt like it kind of got conservative in the second half, but, um, it was, it was good. And I, I bet all the players in that locker room really appreciated getting a win again because losing for that long can be really tough. Um, and so it, it was good for them to get that one. Yeah, definitely. There were some scenes coming out of the locker room after the game. They they they're all yeah breakdown. And I thought one of the funnier ones was when Bailey Zappi walked in and he he hugs 
O'Brien and tells him he loves him, and then he sees Belichick and he's like, "Oh, thank you, sir." You know, so um, <clears throat> excuse me, but Zappy, nineteen of twenty-eight, three touchdown passes and a pick, threw for two hundred and forty yards. Look, he's doing what Mac Jones hadn't been able to do in recent weeks, and that's take care of the football and keep the offense on schedule. And I think that that's what's important here. And, and I think as we move forward here, this is going to be Mac Jones's legacy, his inability to take care of the football and his inability to keep the offense moving is what we're going to remember about him, unfortunately, fair or unfair. But I think at the end of the day, Bailey Zappi, no matter what happens, I think moving forward, and I think we can all agree with this, he's the quarterback of this team the rest of this season. They want to see what they have in him. They're going to give him a long look. If he plays like he did on Thursday night, we talked about this in the postgame show, Kevin. They could legitimately split these last four. I don't think that's as far-fetched as people think. Now, I think if that happens, yes, I think that's going to tick a lot of people off, particularly the tanking crowd. But, again, look, <laughs> excuse me, are the Patriots as bad as their record? No, they're not. That's the thing. On paper, this is a more talented team than their record. Unfortunately, they've had a bad year. I think that there's been a lot of problems. Now, when I say a more talented team, I only mean a couple more wins. Let's not pretend like this roster is loaded and Belichick has effed it up. They, they are what they are. They've got limitations all over the place, but they're a little bit better than their record. And I think you saw that on Thursday night. Again, if Zappi plays like this, defense continues to play at the level they've played. The skill guys, Smith-Schuster had four catches for 90 yards. We talked about Zeke's performance. They could split these last four games. I think that they'll have a pretty good shot on winning January 8th against the Jets. Could potentially win maybe Christmas Eve in Denver. I still think Sunday and at Buffalo are going to be two, two tough games to win. I don't see them winning either one. But they could potentially get to 5-12. and 12. And Stone, you brought up a pretty good point. They, they're playing for Bill Belichick. I know there are a lot of people that are done with Belichick and would love to see him move on at the end of the season. But one thing we could say about this team is they're playing for him. They haven't quit on him. And I think that's important. And I said it on the post-game show, and I'll say it again. I think that's vitally important, and that is certainly something that if you're Bob Kraft, you have to look at that and say, okay, there's a lot of things that I'm not happy about right now. There's a lot of things that haven't gone our way. But one thing is for certain, this team is still playing for this coach. That should count for something. Yeah, and, you know, we obviously didn't hear it live. But when Bob Kraft was on College Game Day Saturday, he talked, and I, and I really heard it today for the first time, he talked a lot about, you know, taking pride in having people around for a long time. And I said this post game uh, Thursday night, I won't be surprised if he's back now. Um, if they go 5-12, and 12. you know, if they finish with two wins, I don't think there's any shot, but if they finish strong down the stretch and they play like they did Thursday night, I can see a scenario where, where he's back. So you're right. It's huge. And um, if you're the crafts, how do you not take that into account? Especially with some of the veterans that will still be here next year. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I'm curious to see what Kraft really feels on the subject because, you know, it's, if it were anybody else, this would be an easy move. If this were a Joe head coach from wherever, and he, he, he'd he been here the last four or five years, then this would be an easy decision. 
But it's not. It's Belichick. It's the greatest coach of all time. And you are staring down, firing the most legendary coach in, in football history. So it's a tough decision. I don't know what he's going to do. But, I mean, I, I still think he's going to get fired. I just think it's, you know, he's got his fingerprints all over this team. And it's just not performing. So, um, but I would, you know, Kevin makes a good point. Who, who knows what Kraft is going to do? So, um, uh, we'll see what happens. But, I mean, it's just such a tough spot for Kraft, given who Belichick is and what he's given this organization. Yeah, I, even if they decide to move on, I don't think he fires them. I think it's a mutual parting. I've said that from the beginning, just based on what he's done in the 23 years he's been here. Only thing I'll say is this, and I've been pretty consistent with this opinion, and that is I still want to see who's out there that would be an upgrade over him. I'm having a hard time buying that someone that's currently on his staff right now would be an upgrade over him. Even Mike Vrabel, who's had some success in Tennessee, not sure he's an upgrade over him. And then you look at the coordinators that are out there that could potentially be in play. You look at a guy like Ben Johnson or a guy like Kellen Moore, those – those guys are good coaches, but those offenses have been inconsistent this year. Bobby Slowick, a name that is a dark horse, the OC in Houston. Okay, well, he's done a great job with C.J. Stroud in that offense, but they struggled yesterday. Then, you know, obviously Jim Harbaugh would be like a long, uh, you know, a, a reach, if you will, as a potential replacement. Then you look at a guy like maybe a Dan Quinn on the defensive side. My point is this. Unless you are able to produce someone, a candidate, that you can sell to this fan base as an upgrade, I, I'm not so sure they move on from him either. Now, again, if they don't win again the rest of the year and they finish 3-14, and 14, the conversation is probably different. But I still think pound for pound, he's still probably better than the majority of candidates who you would have in mind to replace him. I think the thing with Belichick is, He's done such a poor job drafting in recent years that I think even if he stays, there has to be a conversation about turning over the front office and bringing in a veteran talent evaluator and giving them some form of, of decision-making power. Because if you don't, then they're not going to want to come here. So let's see how the rest of the season plays out. I'm not convinced he's done, but I'm not also convinced that he's safe because I think he's far from safe. All right, Chiefs coming into town this week, coming off of back-to-back -back losses to the Packers and the Bills. Mahomes and Reed were bitching and moaning last night after a clear and obvious offsides, offensive offsides penalty on Kadarius Tony. Look, Chiefs are going to be fired up. They're reeling right now. They need to get back on track. They've lost five games this season. This is a big game for them all of a sudden from a positioning seating standpoint. You have to think they're going to come to play despite their recent struggles. Yeah, I mean, I worry about Kelsey and Mahomes. But after that, if Isaiah Pacheco is still hurt, I'm not worried about their receivers anymore. Like, it's it's so weird. What, three or four weeks ago, we assumed this was, you know, 41 to 10, just ass-kicking for the Patriots. But we did also talk, John, on Thursday night. They do seem to play Kansas City tough, um, at least over the last – I don't know, five, six years. It Ever since that AFC Championship, it kind of feels like they play them tough. So um, I think it'll be a close game. I do think KC ends up winning, but those receivers are nothing to be worried about. 
and this defense is still playing at a high level. So I think it'll be competitive, and I think KC, you know, KC probably wins like 2013 or something like that. Um, yeah, I feel like, to your point, Kev, these receivers can't catch the ball. Like, they're really bad at just catching it. Um, yeah, and, that, and it just goes to show you how great Brady was, right? Because Mahomes doesn't have a lot to work with outside of Kelsey. I think Rishi Rice is going to be pretty good. But think about Brady in 06. They got to an AFC title game. With, with the late with the late Rishay Caldwell and and Jabbar Gaffney as your two leading receivers. I mean And Bethel Johnson still, maybe. Yeah. Yep. Daniel Graham. Like he didn't have a lot to work with there. Mahomes yeah. doesn't either, and he's not making these guys better, is my point. Yeah, I mean <laughs> they do still have Kelsey though. So I mean Yeah. Uh it's Best so I know the game. It's so funny watching Kelsey too because, like, it's like he's he's never like he's never like heavily covered. Like these aren't like fifty fifty balls he's getting. He's wide open a lot of times, and people just don't know how to defend him. Um, he's an excellent player, so I still think the Chiefs are a little bit more talented. The I think the Patriots defense is going to keep him in the game, but I think eventually Kansas City pulls away by two two touchdowns maybe. Yeah, I think they went by a couple of scores, too. I think the Patriots are playing tough. I, I agree with that. Uh, but this is a team that has a lot at stake on Sunday. They need this game for a lot of reasons. Seeding, playoff positioning. Mahomes has never played a road playoff game. Looks like he's going to this postseason. So that being said, I do think the Patriots can play them tough. But a lot of that will depend on building on what they did on Thursday night against Pittsburgh. If Zappi plays well, offensive line does the, the – uh, the kind of job they did against Pittsburgh in pass protection. They can run the football the way they did on Thursday. Then yeah, they'll have a shot at hanging around and possibly pulling off the upset, but they play anything like they did the previous three weeks. They're going to get boat raced out of Gillette on Sunday. So I think it's one of those things where they need to play well on offense. The defense can't be on the field as much as they have been in recent weeks. If somehow they can do that, I think they're going to be fine. I see Kansas City winning by 10, maybe 14 if they play really well. I just think that they're still, despite the fact that Mahomes doesn't have as much talent around him that, that, as he's had in recent years, and they're dropping a lot of passes, I still think that this is a pretty good team offensively. You still have Andy Reid. You mentioned Kelsey. As long as Pacheco plays, I think they win by 10 to 14 points. But Patriots can certainly make them sweat and, and make them earn it. Uh, all right, gentlemen, we are going to pivot here and talk some college football. But before we do that, I do want to remind you that you are watching slash listening to the New England Football Show, sponsored by Mortgage Right. I'm your host, John Serenitas. As always, I'm joined by Kevin Stone and Adam Kirkchen. I do want to remind you that if you are in the market to sell your current home or buy your first home, give our good friend Herb Devine a call, 781-254-2846. You can also email Herb at situate.mortgageright.com. With over 25 years of experience, Herb is the right guy for you to get you on the right track to make your next purchase when it comes to real estate. He and his team are available anytime, including nights and weekends. So give him a call or shoot him an email today. All right, we're going to talk a little college football here, talking about Bob Chesney, of course. Middle of last week, the big news dropped 
that Bob Chesney was leaving Holy Cross. He has become the new head football coach at James Madison. And look, we've been waiting for a couple of years now to see where Chesney was going to make his next move and where he was going to go. Um, this is a pretty interesting destination to me for a lot of reasons. Before I give you my thoughts, though, I want to get your thoughts. Kevin, I'm going to start with you. It finally happened the day that we've been talking about, it seems, for more than two years now. Finally arrived. Bob Chesney has moved on. He has left Holy Cross. What are your thoughts on the move? Yeah, I was going to say maybe three years ever since um, that first playoff went over Sacred Heart, right? Like, as soon as he started ascending there, we started saying, hey, how long is he going to be here? Um, how long till he, you know, gets that big offer? And um, I, I do think, I know you disagree or disagree to an extent. I think it's a perfect spot for him. Um, I think it's it's not a giant step up to that huge, you know, FBS name, but it's a now solid program that clearly is on the rise. They're, um, they're what, a one-loss team, top 25 still. Um, so I think it's a big step for him. And um, it had to happen eventually, right? Like, like you said, we kept talking about it for years. That success at Holy Cross, maybe they could have gotten to a national championship at some point, but he kind of peaked, right? Like you had some of the best players in the country in Dobbs and Sluka. Uh, they're now gone. It was going to take a lot to kind of rebuild, not necessarily rebuild, but to maintain that that top 15, top 10 weekly status. So uh, it was bound to happen. The run they had, it, it might not be matched for a while around here, uh, but we both we all wrote this and said this. He changed the landscape of New England college football when he was here, mainly as a recruiter. Like kids wanted to go play at Holy Cross that would normally want to go play there, you know, once he got there. So um, a big loss for New England football, but uh, I know we'll all be rooting for him and uh, wish him nothing but the best out there, James Madison. Well. I, I like this for him because it's already a successful program. Like, he's not coming into, like, he's not disaster relief. Like, they're ready to win now. I mean, they're ranked, you know, and it would be in a pretty good bowl if not for the fact they're not allowed to be in a bowl right now. Um, and the, the other thing, it's, it's in a pretty good oh, – I think they are going to play in a bowl, though, because okay. not enough – Yeah, I yeah, think they're, they – They're facing yeah, they're, Air Force. Yeah, they're okay. playing Air Force. They're, they're not um, – it's because there was a, wasn't was enough teams with a winning record, I believe, that qualified that yeah, got yeah. them in. That's good. So that's even better. But, I, you know, I like um, I like this for him because it's in a pretty good spot um, recruiting-wise. They're in right sort of in the heart of Virginia. They can get to the best parts of Virginia really easily. Um, they can get to – Maryland, D.C., um, West Virginia, sort of Ohio isn't even that far away from them either. Um, so I think recruiting-wise, he's going to be able to do really well. I think he's a good recruiter anywhere you put him in the country because he's just dynamic like that. Um, so, I mean, I think he'll have success. Um, he's a great coach. We all, we all know what type of coach he is. I'll agree with Kevin, too, on, like, I don't know how much more he really could have done at Holy Cross. Like, obviously, win a national title, but that's tough. Like the the, the Dakota teams and the Montana teams are tough to beat uh, in, in FCS football. So, 
<clears throat> I'm really happy for Bob. Uh, I think he's a great coach. I think he's going to do very good things at James Madison. Yeah, I, I think that it's a good landing spot for him, too. I mean, I think that the, the point you make about how much more could he have done there is a valid point. I think that – I don't want to say that the program had maxed out at Holy Cross, but it was going to be tough to replicate the success of the previous four years moving forward, especially you were going to be starting over at certain positions. You were going to lose Suka. You were going to lose Dobbs. It, it was going to be hard. You were going to lose Coker, which they did inevitably. Um, I think this is a great landing spot for him. I could see him coaching out his entire contract. He's in his mid-40s, so he's still young enough where he could certainly do that. Um, obviously, if he has any kind of success in 2024, 2025, there's a good chance he might not be there by 2026 because – Things move fast at that level now. He's no longer at Holy Cross. He's now at a at an FBS program that has had success, to Adam's point. He's walking into a program where he can win, win right away. He's not rebuilding anything, which is huge. He's a terrific recruiter, but I will say he's going to have to hire some people with local ties. Virginia has a lot of talent, a lot of talent in-state, a lot of talent surrounding it. But he is going to have to hire a couple of guys on his staff with ties to the state and that area because inroads matter. Relationships with high school coaches matter. And you want to hire guys that have those relationships because then that makes it easier for you to develop those relationships with those guys and it makes it a lot easier to recruit. So I, I think he's going to do a good job there. I think if he does do a good job, he's probably only going to be there two, maybe three years, and then he'll be moving on to his next job. But um, I think either way, I think he probably, I agree with you guys in, the, in that he probably maxed it out at Holy Cross. Um, the only other logical achievement there would have been to win a national title. And to your point, Adam, that's tough to do in FCS football with the, with the two Dakota teams, the two Montana teams and other programs in FB, FCS football as well that that make it challenging. Um, you know, I, I'm curious to see who they hire moving forward. I know that in the press release they mentioned that they are going to be doing a national search. It'll be interesting to see if they keep it within the staff or actually hire someone outside of Chesney's staff. That remains to be seen, and we, we don't have any inside information on that. But – they're going to do their due diligence to try to get the right coach. Yeah, I think selfishly, you know, we hope it's, you know, one of the guys on staff, not just for content purposes, but just because they're all great coaches. And, they're, you know, look, Chesney obviously built the program, but his culture was was helped establish by everyone on that staff. Um, overall, it's a, it's a fantastic staff. Whoever it is, if it is, you know, a national guy, I hope he keeps a lot of those guys on staff because they know how to build a program too, and they know how to sustain it more importantly. So uh, I do hope it's a, you know, it's Scott James or, or someone like that. There's a, there's a bunch of deserving guys on that staff, but if they do go national, I, I don't think it'll be, you know, necessarily a name obviously, but um, there's now a big reputation to uphold as far as Holy Cross, you know, being back back on the map is concerned. So, um, I think it's a, a very desirable job as much as we, you know, complain about Worcester. Um, 
it's it's a big time job in FCS now. Yeah, I think that's right. I think you know it's um it's it it's a more attractive job than it was when Bob took over for sure. You know, I mean, Holy Cross is losing a great coach. They're in a good situation. You know that yeah, you lo- you lose Bob Chesney, but it, people are going to want to come to a team that's already a winner. You know, it, again, this is the same thing with Bob at uh, James Madison. You know, Holy Cross has been winning the last few years, and so you've got a, a roster that's ready to compete right away. So I, I think in that respect, you can get a better coach than you would say if their last season they went two and ten, you know, or something like that. They're in a good spot. Yeah, they are. And in many ways, to your point, whoever does take this job is inheriting a program that has had a lot of success. And you're still going to have some key players back within that program that are going to allow you to have a good foundation to build off of. So we'll see. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how they handle this. Um, My guess is that coaches that were on Chesney staff will have a shot and they'll also do their due diligence and, and probably interview uh, coaches that they acquire via their national search. So um, it'll be interesting to see. But either way, they'll get it right. They know what they're looking for. They know what they want. But I think I speak for all of us when I say that we want to wish Coach Chesney the best of luck. Class act, great guy to deal with. Always has been very good to us. Uh, he's always opened up the program to us. He would do shows with us. Um, he He was just a terrific, terrific guy to deal with. And we want to wish him nothing but the best because he's a class act and, and a terrific football coach. All right. So they That's agree awesome. with me. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Uh, real quick, I do want to talk about Boston College here. Obviously, Kevin, you were there the other day, and there's a lot that was said about the transfer portal. And if folks remember a couple of years ago, when Jeff Athley took this job, he made it very clear that he wanted to build the program organically through high school recruiting and development. Seems like that tune has changed a little bit, though. I think he's gotten with the times, if you will. I think a lot of college coaches have, for that matter. But I think he's gotten with the times now. I think he recognizes that in order to win, you've got to be active in the portal. Sounds like Boston College is going to be active in the portal. Yeah, he's got no choice. Um, job is clearly They've already on the line. added a couple of kids. Yeah, uh, two more offensive linemen today, including a local kid. Um, I want to say Jadon Lafontaine. If I'm pronouncing it right, I'm probably From, not. Well, he, he plays down at Brunswick in Connecticut. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So um, two big offensive linemen. One kid who is a native of uh, Senegal um, also got signed today or well, committed today, I should say. Um, yeah, look, he knows he has no choice. Job is on the line next year. And, um, you know, I don't think we've talked about this. No matter what happens with the bowl game, he's he's safe. Um, <coughs> they're going to let him – they're going to let him go recruit some more and – and try to keep, you know, building this thing. But, yeah, he's completely changed direction, and um, I'm happy he's saying it publicly. You know, he could easily say or, or kind of keep it close to the vest and um, and just sort of let however this class takes shape kind of do the talking for him. But um, he came right out and said, yeah, I'm going to attack the portal hard, and it, it's the way college football is now. And you're right, he's getting with the times, and um, – He's a young coach, so I think it's easier for him to kind of change a philosophy rather than, you know, a guy who's been at it for 40 years and, and has his way of doing things. Um, so we'll see how it goes. And uh, But at the very least, 
he can sell it to the fan base that you're going to bring in people that can help you win right away and not have to develop a team like he originally wanted to um, almost five years ago now. Yeah, I think it's um, – I'm not crazy about going all in on the portal. Like, I know it's the way, way of the world right now and it's how it's done. But I just don't like that it really pushes out some high school recruits, not all. Like the like the five star, you know, wide receiver from wherever is still gonna get recruited. It's but it's the it's the guys who are, you know, sort of borderline two, three star guys who, you know, are gonna get pushed out when a college goes and gets um, you know, gets a, a player in the portal. I think it really does affect that other sort of recruiting angle that you have, and I'm not, sh- I, I'm not sure I like that. I think, you know, it's, I think you're going to see a lot of kids, you know, not get recruited by some of these schools just because these schools have fallen in love with the portal, and we've already seen that happen already. We've talked to coaches about it. Um, so we'll see. I mean, you know, I do think, look, to Kev's point, I think that Halfley kind of has to do this, you know, uh, or it seems like he has to do this. So I'm, I'm curious to see how it goes. I don't know. It's, I think it's different for each team, but you're, I think this is, like you said, John, I think this is the direction of college football now. I think this is just, I think this is just how it is. Uh, but you don't have to like it. No, I, I, it, it is the way it is. It's And it's the way it's going to go. And I'm sure at some point they'll regulate the portal. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's going to negatively affect high school kids because it's going to affect their ability to get recruited and sign. And I think, unfortunately, like it or not, college coaches, especially those that are in survival mode, they're going to dip into the portal even more. They're going to be more, even more active in it than they might have normally been. So, you know, the way I see it, I understand that it's having a negative effect on the high school kids, but this is where the game is now. And unfortunately, until the NCAA regulates it and and makes it so that it's not that easy for kids to be jumping around year to year, nothing's going to change. Nothing is going to change. And NIL is going to be a big part of that. And even now, Boston College is starting to realize NIL is a big factor in this as well. We can only sell our education so much. Kids are still expecting a bag. They want to go somewhere. The the, the upper echelon four- and five-star kids who enter the portal, they're going to want a bag if they go somewhere else. They're not, they're not just going to go to your place because you offer them a great education. Unfortunately, that should mean something, and I'm sure it does to plenty of kids in the portal. But to the elite-level kids that want to play on Sundays, it doesn't mean as much. So Boston College in many ways is still going to be operating from behind with a lot of this stuff because they don't have an NIL initiative that can pay what others do. And they still have pretty tough academic standards. It's not that easy to just get whoever you want into the school. So um, it, it's going to be interesting to watch this. And And him pivoting does not surprise me. It doesn't surprise me because he's getting with the times, just like Dabo Swinney is getting with the times now. You you have to adjust. It's no longer, nope, 
<clears throat> excuse me, we're going to do it this way. We're going to build organically. We're going to develop, blah, blah, blah. You can do that. You'll be unemployed, though, because they're going to be playing with four, fourth and fifth year guys, and you're going to be playing with first, second, and third year guys, and you're going to be at a distinct physical and experience disadvantage. And that's ultimately the difference. So whether he or anyone else likes it or not, you have to be willing to live in the portal now in order to have any level of success. Uh, big day today in New York. The Bushnell Ivy, the uh, Bushnell Awards in the Ivy League were giving out. And for the second straight year, Yale quarterback Nolan Grooms won the Bushnell Award as the Offensive Player of the Year in the Ivy League. That has only happened six times that you've had a back-to-back -back winner. Caps off a great career for Nolan, who I got, I've gotten to cover the last three years and uh, he's just a terrific dude, a terrific dude, terrific player. Um, Wes Rocket from Braun was also a finalist. Congratulations to Wes, um, who's also a great player and a pleasure to cover. But I uh, couldn't be happier for Nolan. He's the real deal, and my hope is that he gets a shot to, to, to play professionally because he checks off a lot of boxes that you want at the quarterback position. I was going to say, I'm glad you brought you know the, the potential to play professionally up. Are you surprised he hasn't hopped in the portal as a graduate? Uh, he might. I mean, yeah. I, I can't speak to that. I don't know what his thought process is, but he could. Yeah, no, I, I'm also just surprised he hasn't yet because I think he can get looks from, you know, look, if Max Brosman went to Minnesota, where can this kid go? You know what I mean? So uh, a little surprising that he hasn't yet. But, yeah, look at talented kid and uh, finished his career with over 5,000 yards passing uh, at Yale. and. Um, just listening to his speech today, first thing he did was talk to West Rocket. He said, you know, look, I, I always knew you were coming whenever we were playing you. And uh, he also said he had the best name in all the Ivy League. So um, a kid who immediately took the attention off himself, put it on an opponent. Um, as Again, as you mentioned, a great interview. He usually does that. Um, a very selfless kid. And um, I do hope he plays at the next level, too. He reminds me of like an E.J. Perry. Um, in terms of where he might be able to to kind of go with his career. Um, I think he's probably a little bit better than EJ in terms of talent-wise. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but you're right. Just a great kid, and um, that's not an easy award to win. We've talked about it a lot. The Ivy League is full of the exact same players. You know, it's all the same talent, all the same kind of kids. So to be a cut above the rest offensively um, for two straight years, man, it's impressive. Yeah, he's brought a ton to Yale and, um, you know, just a dynamic player. I mean, it's kind of funny, um, especially when you talk about portal guys and stuff like that. There's a, there's a, there is a difference between an FBS player and an FCS player, but sometimes there's really not. Because, like, if this kid hadn't gone to Yale, if he had gone to any school, you know, or – you know, any one of these other schools in the FBS, I mean, I'm sure he can compete at that level. I'm sure he is. And it's just a matter of where a kid wants to go and where he wants to end up and what's his best preference. But, like, sometimes the difference, talent-wise, isn't as big as you'd expect. No, but but you're seeing it now. Just look at yesterday alone. Thor Griffith commits to Louisville. Jonathan Mendoza, the 6'9 left tackle from Yale, commits to Louisville. There's not a big gap between FCS and FBS kids anymore. FCS kids can play at the FBS level now. And, yeah. and yes, you can thank the portal for that, but there's a lot of kids, and we know this, the three of us have covered Ivy League football for a while, 
there's a lot of kids playing in the Ivy League that can play FBS football. They just chose to pursue the education. Thor Griffith coming out of New Hampshire could have played FBS football. He wanted to go to Harvard, and now he's going to get his chance. Mendoza going to get his chance. And so I don't know what Nolan is going to do as far as comparing him to EJ. I think they're very comparable. Um, Nolan, I think, is a little bigger. Max put up astronomical numbers at UNH. That's why he's going to Minnesota. He's proven for three years that he that he can play at a consistently high level. Nolan has as well. You don't win the Bushnell two years in a row if you don't. But I don't know what he's going to do next. But like I said, he's been terrific the last two years, arguably the best player in the Ivy League, and um, he deserves to win the award back-to-back years. And, again, only the sixth time that a player has won Offensive Player of the Year in the Ivy League uh, back-to-back years. So that's pretty impressive. Staying with the theme of college football, um, of course, be remiss if we didn't talk about this past weekend with Army-Navy. Tremendous, tremendous weekend for New England college football, for New England in general. Uh, New, Re- New England really showed out, I believe, on Saturday. They put on a great show and a great representation of the region. I think that the Kraft family, I think that the fans, I think everyone involved on this side of things acquitted themselves well. Sellout crowd at Gillette. Atmosphere was electric. Um, the, the cadets and the midshipmen were into it. They made the game in many ways. It was Army-Navy. You knew you were going to get a great game. Army wins 17-11 in, a, in another battle between these two ancient rivals. It was um, the 124th edition, lived up to the hype. And I think, and you wrote about this yesterday, Kevin, I think that New England resoundingly made its case to be in the rotation for this game every four or five years. Yeah, uh, incredible day. There's not many times where, you know, there's an event that lives up to the hype and, and exceeds it. And Adam, I know you've covered Super Bowls, and I'm curious to kind of get your take on, you know, what John and I got there about 930 10 a.m. There was already traffic um, at 9 a.m. when I left uh, left Waltham. I sat on Route One for for 45 minutes, um, like it was an old school Patriots game. Uh, the atmosphere was incredible all day, from college game day to the thousands of cadets that were in the parking lot for game day, um, to fans walking around just you know yelling "Beat Army" or "Beat Navy" at 10 a.m. Um, Patriots Pro Shop looked like Black Friday. Uh, it was incredible. It's obviously to march on before the game, everything leading up to the game, everything through the game, and obviously the last few minutes, um, John and I were lucky enough to be in the end zone where, where everything happened. I almost got killed uh, by Army storming yeah, over. Yeah, I not have been on the show tonight because uh-huh. you almost got trampled. But just an electric atmosphere, and again, it's it's rare when you find something that supersedes expectations, but it was everything I thought it might be and heard it might be and more, and um, again, Adam, I'm sure you can speak to, you know, Super Bowl Sunday kind of showing up to, to the place and getting that big game feel right away. This place had it all day long, again, from 9 a.m. on. And um, I can't – we can't see a reason why why this shouldn't be here regularly. Everybody we talked to from Army PR to Mike Buddy, the athletic director, um, to Richard um, – his name, his last name is escaping me right now, the Army play-by-play guy. Um, John, if you can help me, I can't remember his last name right now, but, um, he was, you know, nothing but glowing reviews when we were on media row. Um, every event they hosted was incredible this week. Just 
they did everything right. And and given the history of this, you know, this country in this region, I can't imagine that it shouldn't be part of the rotation moving forward. Yeah, um, I think Super Bowls are different because at Super Bowls you get a lot of people who are just there for the game, as far as like the pageantry and everything. They're just they're just there to watch the game. They might not even have a rooting interest. But I think this game, the game that you guys were at, you know, having the midshipmen and the cadets there, it's just an incredible sort of atmosphere for it. And I don't, th- you know, the Super Bowls I've been to have had good atmospheres and stuff. But I think Army Navy is unique because they have those uh, midshipmen and cadets there, and it's just a great uh, show. And um, you know that game always seems to have a great ending too. That seemed to be uh, another one there. It was just a, um, just an unbelievable finish. And uh, and I, I'm with you guys. They should have it here again sometime. Um, I think it made made their best case. And just as far as sorry, John, just as far as the finish goes, the two plays that that kid Fortner made. You know, having gone back and watched the video, I have like a hundred times. That wasn't athletic, just a ridiculously athletic play to make the tackle and force the fourth down and then get the stop on fourth down as well. Um, just a remarkable finish to that game. Or he scored on the fumble recovery. Right, yes, right, right. And, I mean, seeing him in the post-game press conference, I mean, he's only a sophomore. That's the thing that blows you away when you see him physically. It's like him and, and Kanye Uday, the running back, he's six feet, 225 pounds. He was only a freshman. So, like... You know, I, I, I think a lot of the service academy guys, you know, and, and Jeff Monken spoke about this after the game. We don't get, you know, guys that are going to USC at Ohio State. No, you don't. But you definitely ain't getting chopped liver because a bunch yeah. of those guys can play at a lot of different places. And I think as we saw on Saturday, you know, Caleb Fortner can play at a lot of places. Kanye Uday can play at a lot of places. There were guys on Navy that can play at a lot of places. So, um, yeah, I thought the game was it, – it, it it exceeded my expectations. I thought Friday was terrific. You know, you mentioned Rich DeMarco, the the uh, voice of, of Army you. football. Um, you know, we had a great time on Friday interviewing Rich and interviewing Mike Buddy, uh, Rob Ninkovich. We talked to Matt Burke. It was it was a terrific experience. And then the game was just – the atmosphere – look, I've, I've been to, to seven AFC championship games at Gillette Stadium. And and some good ones too, and not a single one of them matched up to this. And 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 I, I adore the Patriots organization. I've been a lifelong fan of the Pats, but from an atmosphere standpoint, I I don't think I could ever remember that place jumping like that and being that alive. Um, it was awesome. It was an awesome, awesome experience, start to finish. You get there in the morning. College game days there. At noon, you have the march, midshipmen come in, and then the cadets come in, um, and then you have the game. And it was just an incredible experience, and to get the opportunity to cover it, this is a game that I've wanted to go to my whole life. I've never had the opportunity to. Um, I can Since I can remember, I've been watching Army-Navy since I was a kid. And then to have the opportunity to geek out in the post-game press conference with, with Coach Munkin and talk option football with him and history, you know, for a guy that's a former head football coach and history teacher, doesn't get any better than that. And long term, yeah, I, I, you know what? 
we we told the Army PR staff, we're going to be annoying about it, us, New England Football Journal, because we want you guys back. We want the game here. We think New England proved that it should be in the rotation, and you wrote about that on Sunday, Kevin. I don't see any reason why New England isn't in the rotation. There's There's no reason why we shouldn't be. No, you're right. There's absolutely none. Um, Hotel fiasco aside, again, everything was first class. And that's all we heard from both Army and Navy. Anybody we talked to all week, um, they loved their time here. And uh, again, and Adam, I'm sure, well, I'm not sure. Have you been on Radio Row at Super Bowls? Yep. Um, I'm assuming the one on Friday, they made it feel like a big deal. Um, And that didn't necessarily have to be the case. There were places, you know, radio stations from Seattle, Tampa, California, um, Nashville. Like, it was a a big deal. And the people that put this on and put every event on made it feel like a big deal. And, John, again, you mentioned the atmosphere around the stadium. It was really cool to see everyone truly had a rooting interest. Again, we talked about it leading into the game. Everybody knows someone in the military, right? So everyone that was there had a genuine rooting interest. And and maybe for me, the coolest thing I saw, they had obviously the tanks and the, the military vehicles and stuff like that outside of Patriots place. And there were old veterans like struggling to climb up into these things just to get a picture with um, a current service member, you know, helping them up and down. And, um, you know, the, the older, the older veterans just loving the experience. Um, It's something you'll never forget. And uh, right now it's by far the biggest thing I've ever covered. And um, to your point, John, there is no excuse why this can't be here on a, on an every five year basis or whatever it is. No, I hope they do the right thing. And, you know, Mike Buddy told us that when New England put in their bid, there was one, I think he said 11, 11. 11 locations yep. put in bids and they visited seven of them. So obviously there are other parts of the country that want the game. But the other thing you got to remember here is that logistically it doesn't work to bring the game outside of this region because you got to remember you're also transporting almost 9,000 cadets and midshipmen. So it's not just the two football programs and staff. You also have to house all of those cadets and midshipmen. So they don't have a choice. they got to keep the game in the mid-Atlantic and the Northeast. And and like I said, I hope that New England acquitted itself well enough to get that opportunity because this this is a tremendous, tremendous experience. And as we were saying all weekend, New England is never going to get a Super Bowl. We're never going to get a Super Bowl here. So the closest thing to that, is this game. I hope that um, we can continue to have the opportunity to host this game every four or five years. All right, uh, final segment here. And I just wanted to talk about a great weekend in Connecticut for the state title games. Our Matt Spaulding and Tony Catalina were there for those. Six champions were crowned on Saturday. And just want to get some, just want to get some thoughts on the games. Bloomfield, after kind of being, uh, you know, the, the 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 second fiddle, if you will, in Class S the last couple of years, beats Cromwell Portland, avenging a Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl state title game loss two years ago. Big forty-two to twenty win there. The Kerr brothers were lights out. Foster was lights out at quarterback. This Bloomfield team had a lot of skill. It was on full display on Saturday. Yeah, I think um, I I feel like Bloomfield is always in the mix. 
Um, they're a great program. They're one of the great small school programs in New England. Maybe those one of some of the one of the best programs period in New England. They're just always good. Um, they spread you out. They have big linemen, tons of speed, and that was a nice win for them. Yeah, I thought the most impressive win of the day was Northampton, twenty-one nothing over Wilton, a Wilton team that was built to stop that single wing rushing attack of Northampton. They didn't though. Northampton's defense was lights out and that running game. And it just speaks to how hard it is to stop offenses like this. And we talked about it over the weekend with what the option offenses with the army Navy game, but what an impressive win by North Haven. They go back to back with a 21, nothing win in class MM. Again, North Haven has in recent years been really good. Um, and they're a tough offense to stop, like you said, and they got the shutout on defense. So they were one of the best teams in the they're a top five, top ten team in Connecticut this year. New Canaan and Darien played one of the best state title games in the region on Saturday. New Canaan comes from behind to win 28-21 against their Thanksgiving rival, who they beat on Thanksgiving 31-17. Lou Marinelli wins his 14th state title, 42 years at the helm at North Canaan. I mean, they go back to back. What a run for that program. What a win. Darien played their, their hearts out. They controlled that game in the second half. New Canaan is able to come from behind and win it late. Yeah, both these teams, you notice over the course of the game, realize how many players they have coming back next year. Um, New Canaan's a great team. They're going to be um, loaded. Both yeah, of them. You're probably going to get this matchup again. Yeah. Um, New Canaan's a great program. Darien's a great po- program. Uh, they put on a, a show, and it was one of the of the six games. Three of them had really nice endings, uh, had really uh, dramatic endings, and this, this was just one of them. And in Class M, Daniel Hand won their 14th state title, beating Rockville 57-20 in a big win there. Joel Barlow in Class SS goes back-to-back after a thrilling 21 21- 20 win over Watertown. And then finally, the big one, the Class LL matchup on Saturday evening at uh, Central Connecticut State University. Staples hangs on to beat West Haven 21-20 in a classic. And, of course, these two teams met week one. West Haven beat Staples. Staples runs the table from that point forward, pick up a big win. They survive. They are going to be the number one team in our CIAC top 25 poll to close out the season. That'll be out tomorrow. Just a huge win for this Staples program. Caleb Smith, player of the year in Connecticut, in my opinion, had a tremendous season. What can you say about this Staples team? And West Haven coming into the games, they were coming into the game with heavy hearts, of course, after the passing of a member of the football program last week. They played their hearts out. They put it all on the line. But the cream rises and Staples was just a little bit better. Yeah, I feel like if these teams played 10 times, it would be 5-5. Five and five. Um, for, yeah, I for, agree. For Staples, Max Morillo made the tackle just short of the goal line um, of West of a West Haven player to, to keep the two-point conversion from scoring. Um, and again, I think this might have been the best game of the weekend. It's kind of cool. Like, the, the large school um, – Massachusetts State title and large school Connecticut State title both had really great finishes. They really did. 
They really did. Tremendous games all day Saturday. Again, I want to thank Tony and Matt for a great job covering the games. And, uh, you know, we want to thank the CIAC for being a great partner, retweeting all our stuff. And and we want to thank the programs as well that follow us on Twitter. Um, Staples, you, Kanan, Darian, you guys do a great job of retweeting all of our content. And um, we love covering Connecticut high school football. And certainly we're excited to cover the the players in the programs this offseason and obviously going into next season as well. All right, gentlemen, final thoughts here as we wrap up. Well, it's weird to be, be to be going into a um, a weekend where I'm not covering a high school football game, um, but it's gonna it's it's been a great season, and now we move on to all state and stuff like that. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, no, just thank you to everyone that followed for high school and and college this year. We we joked that it flies by, but. Uh, again, this one really flew by this year. At least I feel that way. So uh, thank you to everyone that followed. And uh, we still got plenty more Pat stuff to go. There's still have four games left. Yeah, I say it all the time. We're all football all the time. I want to thank our subscribers. You guys have really stepped up and helped us out this year. And you're enabling us to continue to put out the best possible content we can put out. We're excited to to put out even more content. Like I said, we're all football all the time. There's no offseason for us. We're not moving on to basketball and hockey. You know, we're not moving on to lacrosse and baseball in the spring. It's all football. And uh, there's a lot going on in the world of football right now. we got a lot going on with the portal, local guys committing, local guys entering the portal. Um, we're going to keep an eye on that. We've got, um, obviously, with recruiting, we've got National Signing Day coming up. Um, there's a lot going on. So, we're excited to cover all of it for you, and we're going to have continuous football coverage throughout the year. And, of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Drake May declared today. So happy Drake May Day. He declared the Patriots stand pat, and they hold on to that number two pick. Drake May could be a New England Patriot in April. Wouldn't that be something? we got plenty of time between now and then, and we'll have plenty of coverage of the NFL draft and the Patriots draft between now and then. That'll do it for this week's show. For Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin, I'm John Serenitas. Till next week, peace.